Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. So thankful that you guys tuned in this morning. Hope you're off to a great Thursday. Uh, today we have Joe Gentry. Um, he was the official voice of Butler Basketball, but early on in his career, we got into about he started working at the radio station in Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, serving as the voice of Butler in the 80s soon after that. Uh, so yes, he did graduate from Butler again, so he is back where he started. Uh, and then he also covered football and basketball in Richmond, eventually making his way back to Indianapolis uh, at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Uh, so we really get into the storytelling, uh, especially with the 2010 tournament run with the Butler Bulldogs. That was one of his most notable times as being the voice of Butler basketball. And I, I thought it was just intriguing how captivating he was by remembering every move every play every player how they were moving uh what was going on and the end result uh, so it was really fun to hear him paint a picture through his words something that he's very experienced in doing does very well and uh, he talks about brad stevens impact as well within that and how that mindset of brad stevens really kept uh, not only the team but also joe himself kind of going he had, uh, had the pleasure of getting a few words in with Brad uh, along the way as well. And uh, he was, Joe was fortunate enough to share the, the 2010 tournament run story on multiple uh, interviews as well, really hammering home uh, the Butler way and, and how we do things here at Butler. Uh, Tim, what else we get into with Joe? Yeah, I really enjoyed this interview. I remember that 2010 tournament run. That's what put the school uh, of Butler on the map, and that's what kind of mm-hmm. gave them uh, worldwide attention. So it was cool to get that lens of it because he was right there in the middle of it. He talked about doing like 50 interviews over the course of those couple weeks. Crazy and, numbers, yeah. And yeah, just hearing hearing his perspective on that was cool. And he talks about how just play-by-play announcing has evolved over time, uh, what his preparation looks like before each game. Um, and then Joe also now is the director of sales for the Butler Athletic Department. So he gets into what that transition looked like, uh, the exciting new updates for Butler Athletics, including uh, the, the new updates at Hinkle. I'm not going to give any spoilers right now, but... Uh, you're going to so, be pleased with them. Yeah, <laughs> There's a few that are, it's about time. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to like it. And then Joe gives his final advice to anybody who is going into... Uh, a broadcasting or journalism career, something along those lines. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a very good interview, and I know you guys are going to get a lot of value from it, and really good storytelling here. So I, I think you guys are going to be captivated. So without further ado, Joe Gentry. Uh, so Joe, we're kind of interested in we're at beautiful Hinkle Fieldhouse at Butler University, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, so thank you for sitting down with us. We appreciate it. Uh, we just kind of want to get started with uh, a little background, how you got here, and then we'll dive into the meat and potatoes of it. Sure. Well, I, I actually grew up in Lafayette, Indiana, and had a couple predecessors there. Worked at the radio station called Games, kind of got me into broadcasting, and they came on to Butler. And so that was my impetus to visit and come here. Uh, and it was neat when I was at Butler 1982 to 86, the university had a radio station on 104.5 FM. That's now uh, Jack, I believe. Um, And so we got to do games as students here. So I work with a guy named Scott Hoke, who is a classmate who does a lot of voice work at NBC Sports Network. And we got to call games. But the funniest thing was uh, we had a must carry with the Metropolitan Opera. So Every Saturday afternoon, we had to carry the Metropolitan Opera on the station, a lot of classical Mm. music. Mm. So one time I can remember coming on, there was 10 seconds left in the game and it was tied. So in case you joined us late, kind of cut to the chase with that. So (laughs) what a transition. That that was an interesting thing that uh, luckily we don't have to do now that we've moved on from that era. Um, But my goal was to work in college athletics back at Butler. Uh, For me, it took 20 years to do that, which I think helps me appreciate it more returning here because uh, from the first time I visited campus, I felt at home at Butler University. And 20 years later, the buildings had changed and the people had changed, uh, but it still felt at home. And that's that's the beauty of Hinkle. It's a a living museum, as we like to say, and it's a privilege for me to come in here uh, every day and have a key like Brad Stevens used to say. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. So you've really seen the progression 
but you also, it sounds like, played the long-term game when everyone wants things now, now, now. So uh, you start in Lafayette, and so kind of walk us through you know, that process, that journey of how you kind of navigated through the channels of finally making it back to your, your dream spot and where you really wanted to be, because that's, that's a long journey of finally getting to your, your end goal there. Uh, so kind of walk us through that. Yeah, it was interesting, sure. So when I graduated from Butler, probably the last thing I wanted to do in radio was news, and I got a job doing news in Richmond, <laughs> Indiana. Uh, but I also got to do football and basketball there, and their team happened to make the Indiana State Championship in 1987. So I got to call the state finals there, which was really cool. But my passion and heart was in college athletics. So I came back to Butler, was a graduate assistant in sports information and men's and women's tennis. I played tennis when I was here. Um, that led me to a job at the University of Indianapolis. So I replaced Kristen Airy, who was the voice of the Bulldog basketball in 1989 to 2006. Okay. So when he left the University of Indianapolis, I got his job there. Uh, ironically, in 2006, when he left to go to Fox 59, I got his job here. Oh, so wow. mm. I like to consider myself a poor man's Kristen Airy. <laughs> uh, but I don't think he's leaving the Pacers anytime soon, and, and I don't plan on leaving Butler anytime right, soon. Right. Works out for both of you, though. Uh, that's really cool. So did, was he kind of, um, did you look up to him in terms of sports and, and commentating things like that? Or is it, is that just kind of how it played? Did, did you know him very well? You know, for me, it was kind of neat when I started just the ability to do play by play as a 15 year old sophomore in high school. That's most people don't get that opportunity. And, and to have a student radio station in high school gave me a lot of those reps where, uh, all my brothers and sisters went to Purdue. I'm from Lafayette, uh, but Butler was better in radio TV than Purdue was. So I snuck out, <laughs> came down to Butler, um, and, and was fortunate here. Jim Philippi was the station manager when I was here and longtime uh, pre-EA person at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. A lot of history mm -hmm. with that and Tom Carnegie and those guys. And so was fortunate when he was here. There was a lot of hands-on, and, and he gave me a lot of uh, – constructive criticism, I think, which is good. I think, you know, looking back on it like a coach, I think, well, he thought maybe I could do something with it. And so I appreciated that. Um, and so when I left and graduated from Butler in 86, I never thought that I would come back to Butler A and B. I never thought I'd be doing basketball games. And C, I tell people, younger alums like yourselves, in the 1980s, Butler won zero conference tournament games. So mm -hmm. our wildest dreams didn't involve a shot to win the national championship. Mm -hmm. um, so for me to come back to Butler in 2006 and then, oh, by the way, I get to do basketball. And, and the first year back, we make the Sweet 16 and then, mm -hmm. and then uh, make it all the way to the national championship in 2010. So I couldn't have scripted that part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit more about uh, that road to the Final Four, because I'm sure just just being in the city of Indianapolis was an exciting thing. Just being on this campus was cool. But you, I mean, you were calling the game. So do you want to just get into that, like what that was like? Sure. And, and that was interesting for me. So to me, that started back in 2009, the summer. The team took a European trip, and Coach Stevens took them to Italy and Switzerland. And Brad was very big on leadership. And it didn't have to be athletics or sports. So he took them to the Coliseum and said, you know, these people left a legacy. You have a chance to leave a legacy. Well, obviously, that team certainly did that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that team, I can remember a lot of things with it. But um, you had losing right before Christmas to UAB. And so you're finishing the break. And we've been fortunate about Butler. We usually win going into the break, and everybody tends to have a better break. That team lost at UAB right before the break. And it's interesting, I remember flying back to Louisville. They bust back to Indianapolis. Well, that team then went from Christmas to Easter without losing. They won 25 straight games after that. So that was fun for me. Um, the superstitions kind of grew. You know, that team went 20-0 in the Horizon League, which hard to go through a double round robin. Clearly, Butler had the target on its back, and that was one thing kind of that this iteration of Butler basketball, where it is, maybe started in 2006 when I came back because the preseason NIT was in Indy, and Butler beat Notre Dame in the first round of that, and then they beat Indiana in the second round. So nobody thought Butler... Yeah 
that year, um, and we had Mike Green, who nobody had ever heard of, transfer, and Pete Campbell, two guys that were key uh, transfers into the program, along with guys like Brandon Crone and Brian Ligon and A.J. Graves. But then that team goes to New York, and they beat Tennessee, and they beat Gonzaga, and they're the NIT champs. They get in the top 25. Then you get your score on the ticker back in the day, and so the Butler grew. The Butler, when I went to school, went from being in the 80s, not winning a conference tournament game, you come back in 06, 07, you get in the top 25, you're on the radar all season. Uh, that team made the Sweet 16. And one, one thing I remember about that team was after we beat Maryland in Buffalo to go to the Sweet 16, the locker room attendant said, hey, talking to Coach Licklider, hey, you guys were the only team that picked up after yourselves in the locker room. Well, oh, wow. that was an expectation, and that was neat for me to see. Uh, our guys understood they're ambassadors of the university. You see tall guys going through the airport. That's going to be your impression of Butler. Well, our guys mm -hmm. didn't have headphones in. They make eye contact. And they knew, they understood that role, and they embraced that. And it's funny. So then that team, you look the next week, they're playing Florida. The Sweet 16, Florida has six NBA first-round draft picks on their team. You look at that team. I, I'm there at the Edward Jones Dome or whatever they call it now in St. Louis, and this team has six NBA draft picks, and that team has Brian Ligon, who's a dentist, and Drew Stryker, who's a doctor, and A.J. Graves <laughs> is actuarial science. Brandon Crone is back here at Butler. Um, but, but it's a five-on-five -five game, and with four minutes left, Butler led that game, and that was the closest that Florida team came to losing in the tournament mm -hmm. for two seasons when they won back-to-back -back national mm -hmm. titles. Yep. So, so we'll fast forward. Um, so... Uh, Brad Stevens takes over as coach in 07-08. One of the quick things I remember from that season is the Great Alaska Shootout. Butler wins the championship, and Sarah Palin presented the trophy <laughs> to our team, and Butler beat Texas Tech and Bob Knight in the final. So it's Brad Stevens against Bob Knight um, with that team. Um, and then the next year, you had the talented freshman class come in with Gordon Hayward, Shelvin Mack, and Ronald Norad. Um, and that team... Their freshman year, 08-09, lost in the first round to LSU. Matt Howard got in foul trouble. Um, disappointing outcome, but, but so that set the stage. So now I'm going back. Okay, that set the stage. We're going to Europe. We've got this team. We lose right before Christmas to UAB, 25 uh, wins in a row. And that team just believed in itself. And, and it was neat um, for me personally I knew going into the tournament, I was like a senior in that I wasn't going to be doing the radio the next year because corporate partnership had grown. We built it up, which is great. It's hard to have the corporate partnership guy on the radio. Hey, you can't access me only during a, <laughs> during a timeout. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I was like the senior. So I knew this was my last tournament like it was for our seniors. Willie Veasley and Nick Rogers were the two guys that won 118 games in their four years, uh, which wow. is crazy. And so... Um, First game, it's a 5-12 game. Butler's playing UTEP, and UTEP's the trendy pick. Picked the 12 over the 5. Butler trailed a halftime. People forget that. Uh, but it was a Thursday, Saturday in San Jose, so most Butler fans couldn't get out there and fly out there, come back, win that game in the second half. Shell Mack had a huge game uh, shooting beyond the arc in that one. Then he played Murray State, who had upset Vanderbilt. So, again, you're playing the 13 seed like – Everybody, again, picking them to Cinderella, mm -hmm. and that was a low-scoring game. So second half, it's maybe 12 minutes left, and Butler's down 33-26, to 26, like we're down seven in a low-scoring game. And that's where Ronald Nora had made a big bucket and a free throw. And Ron, a great, great leader and a great person, and not noted for his offense, but when the team needed a basket, he could come up with that. He had those nice floaters, too, right? Yeah, Down the and, middle, and he just zing you. And he ends up scoring 15 points, and we win 53-52. So if we yeah. not, hadn't had his 15, yeah. uh, and that was where Gordon Hayward dove on the floor to get a loose ball the last play of the game to get a stop. And he, and he did that. So then, okay, uh, we're going to the Sweet 16. That's in Salt Lake City. It's on a Thursday, Saturday again. Most of our fans can't go to that. Yeah. Playing Syracuse, the number one seed, on a Thursday night again. Four minutes to go. The team is down. And there, Willie Veasley made a three-pointer that hit the back of the rim and bounced way up and went in. And Ron Dorad got a big bucket off an out-of-bounds play. And, and those were key plays in that game where he knocked out the number one seed, Syracuse, 
kind of Butler had been to the Sweet 16 before, uh, but, but hadn't been able to get past that round. And so with Syracuse, he did that. Then all of a sudden, you're in the Elite Eights, and, and Butler played the first game that night. And so I can remember walking back from the hotel or to the hotel from the arena in Salt Lake. Um, and Xavier's playing Kansas State in the second game, ends up going three overtimes, which is just how we would have scripted it. Yeah. I think it was like 96 to 90, yeah. so Kansas State wins. Tire them out for Saturday. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just the way Bulldog fans would draw it up. And yeah. so, um, you know, it really didn't hit me. So, so obviously we're playing Kansas State, very athletic team, really good guards. Clemente. Yeah. I remember him on that team. He was Clemente good. and Pullen. Yeah, um, Jacob Pullen. And the interesting thing was – you know, Brad Stevens didn't say publicly, but he said privately, if we're going to win that tournament in Salt Lake, Gordon is going to be the most outstanding player. And if he does that, he's going to be an NBA lottery pick. Well, all that came through. That's where Gordon had the step back move that they kept replaying uh, among many on CBS with that. But the I mean, the team just took control in that game. Gordon kind of set the tone early with that bucket on the step back and kind of – we had a comfortable lead, but but not supremely comfortable. But I can remember – so like a minute to go in the game, there's a 30-second timeout and send it back to the station for break. I'm doing the game with Nick Gardner, who's now in his 14th year doing games with Butler. He started back with me in 06 on his third or fourth play-by-play guy now. Uh, but I can remember thinking, oh, my goodness, we're – 56 seconds from going to the final four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then th- that little glimpse, little timeout, again, I go back to the training I had at Butler, like, well, this is a, a big deal. And it's my job to tell you the story. And this could be famous, like the legacy that Brad talked about. And so the guys finished it out there and it just an unbelievable moment. Um, so that was the first of those elite eight games that were played. So then we're flying back from Salt Lake City we land at Indy, and Brad has the bus go by Lucas Oil Stadium. So you can mm-hmm. see the light shining, Lucas Oil Stadium. We get back to Hinkle. It's probably like 1 a.m., um, and there are more than 1,000 fans here. And the cool thing was Nick Rogers is the guy carrying the trophy because he's the senior. Okay. It's not Gordon Hayward. It's not Shell Mack. It's not Matt Howard. It's not all those guys. It's a senior because that's how we do things at Butler. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my trick question. I give a lot of tours at Hinkle. Say, what's the best moment at Hinkle? Well, it's not a game. It was bringing that trophy back yeah. in. Um, and so, so Butler, the first team in the Final Four, they become the first team in 38 years since UCLA in 1972 to play the Final Four in your hometown. Yeah. And so, for me, it was all about tickets that week. Everybody wanted tickets because they couldn't go to San Jose and they couldn't go to Salt Lake. Right. But we were in Indy and they wanted to go. And so, I can remember – it being Friday nights, and I told my wife, like, I, I got to take some time to prepare for this game. This is the biggest game in Butler history. All mm-hmm. I've been doing is working on tickets all week. Right. Um, but during the week, I did 50 interviews um, from Honolulu to Seattle to New York, all over the country, wow. just telling the Butler story. And that was neat for me. Obviously, I love Butler, and it's a part of me and my family. Uh, but to share that, and that's what looking back on an outside firm quantified how much that final four run meant in terms of media exposure of $640 million. Mm -hmm. So now we can look back with that being nine years ago. Now the people that are in middle school that maybe never heard of Butler, um, like, okay, let's check out the website. Let's see what it's like. So, so going back to answer your question about how it was here. I mean, it was crazy. So the, the players stayed downtown at a hotel because the week of the Final Four because they wouldn't have been able to sleep here. No. I mean, it was literally crazy. So people were coming by Hinkle every day. You had Bobby Plump of Hoosiers fame on, on the court talking to people. Everybody who came to town for the Final Four wanted to see Hinkle Fieldhouse, and they yeah. wanted a piece of that. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things where you just – you're trained to do your job, in my case, with radio TV degree, and that's my – if I could be the spokesperson, obviously Brad's talking to some people and he's kind of controlling the message. The players are going to class still. They're preparing to play Michigan State in the Final Four. Um, so that was my role to help tell the story of Butler. Uh, and then, then when I'm calling the game, obviously it's my, my role to paint the picture. 
Um, and that was interesting looking back at that game because Butler was favored by one point. People don't remember that against Michigan State. Mm. And, and the other thing, people think of Butler as the Cinderella team in 2010, but you have a lottery pick, Max player, Gordon Hayward. You have Shell Mack, who's played eight years in the NBA. You have Matt Howard, who's a great college player. Lockout was at the wrong time for him. He's played professionally, hung it up, now working in town. Ronald Norid, uh, assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets now. Willie Veasley was a great college player. Um, that's the starting five. So is it a Cinderella? You know, now we have the perspective of we can look back at Loyola. Okay, that was a Cinderella yeah. run. Uh, but if you look at closer at the Butler run, the first year at least, I'm going to say – uh, with all the pieces they had in that team believed. And they obviously had had a special coach leading them. Uh, they had the belief. They built the confidence to go through 20 games in the Horizon League 20-0. and 0. Um, And nobody really thought they could win. I thought it was interesting after the Duke game when they asked Brad what he told the team. He said, I didn't really have a speech prepared for if we lost that game. They just believed we're going to win this game. and And so – that was one of the neat things for me, um, traveling with the team. In, in those eras, they took buses a lot. Mm-hmm. Different travel than now, a Big East schedule. Um, just being across the aisle from Brad and our coaches, just how detail-oriented they were. And he was really kind of ahead of his time with the analytics, kind of crunching the numbers. He had a person on staff helping with that, kind of looking, okay, if, if you catch it on the left block, you're going to spin this way. Um, and I can remember Drew Stryker, the doctor I was telling you about, playing South Alabama in the NCAA tournament in 2008. And they have the Sun Belt Player of the Year. And Drew doesn't, not only doesn't let him score, but he doesn't let him get a shot off because he knows this guy's going to move this way. And Drew's a smart guy. He's a doctor. Uh, and wouldn't even let the guy get the shot off. So That's, That's crazy. At, at what point during that tournament run, did we? You think we finally got the nation's attention? Because obviously, was it when you were doing those fifty interviews? Like when? When along that run did things start to feel different? I think the first two, you you beat the twelve seed UTEP. You're supposed mm-hmm. to beat them in theory. Then you beat the thirteen seed Murray State. You're supposed to beat them in theory. But when you beat Syracuse, yeah. the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And, and I don't think Syracuse had a lot of success in the tournament. I don't think they expected to lose, and I don't think the country did. Yeah. Expected them to lose to Butler in that game. Then all of a sudden, like, hey, we knocked off the number one seed. Yeah. Um, and, and then, obviously, you, you move on and you're playing Duke, the, the team people love or hate. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we'd like to think it was 90-plus percent Butler fans out of 71,000. Yeah, at Lucas yeah. Oil Stadium that Monday night. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's funny. Along that run, so I remember the UTEP game. Uh, I got my first, um, well, it was a warning ticket because uh, I was just flying down the highway, coming from a doctor's appointment, listening to the game. I'm like, oh, we're doing it. We're doing it. And then, uh, <laughs> but the Michigan State, there was a viewing party in Hinkle. And so my brother was here during that whole run. So I would stay with him. Parents came down. And then we were at the championship game. And I remember Kyle Singler, just that 15-foot curl all game long mm. murdered us. And I was like, because I'm a Duke fan, you know, openly. But obviously, I'm a Butler guy. So I was rooting for Butler that day. But I was like, stop this man. I, I know what he's doing. Just stop it. But uh, I remember the sports science on um, Gordon Hayward's shot. And it was like, if it were a half a mile an hour, like slower, like a quarter or something inch higher, it like would have gone in. And it's just like... Well, you couldn't hook us up, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's incredible that you got to see the whole spectrum of announcing, then interviews, and then getting to talk to Brad, see how he interacted with players. Uh, what was kind of one of the more memorable pieces uh, being around Brad Stevens during that time, uh, during, after? Uh, is there anything that really jumped out to you like, yeah, he, he's a Butler guy. Like, that's why it's a Butler way. Yeah, I think the neat thing with him was is he could treat that like another game and like another preparation and that kind of thing. And one thing 
I always remember from him is he would break the the game down as going to be 140 possessions and mm. and how many games are decided by nine points or less so that you're talking about a swing of three possessions each way mm. so the duke game in the national championship i remember there was one time they got an easy bucket off an inbounds and you look up and we lost the game by two points mm. you know and, and so his point would be you don't know when that possession is going to be you got to get the 50 50 balls if we get more of those then we have more chances to get more possessions to make make more baskets and um, back to Gordon's last shots, you know he had prior to that half court shot he had the baseline fade late in the shot clock. We had to inbound in the corner with a little time on the shot clock. He had to arc it over Zubek who was flying at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Gardner and I were on the end of our basket with both those. We thought both of them thought that one was going in, and then the next one. Uh, you're from Northern Indiana, I believe. Like Luke Zeller in high school, yeah. I saw him make a half-court jump shot to win a state championship for uh, Washington over Plymouth in 3A. So I'm like, Gordon's going to make the shot. And and Matt Howard's screen on that play was unbelievable. I mean, just you saw with the team the execution of they're going to miss it on purpose. Matt's going to set the screen. Gordon's going to get the ball. He's going to be the guy to do it. And and one thing with the team, like every shoot around on the road, they end with half-court shots because you never know. Sure. I mean, it's a fun thing. The coaches get to do it. The broadcasters, I don't think I did it. I let Nick do it uh, on our case. <laughs> didn't want to show him up. Sure. Well, no, I, I didn't want to do that. I want to risk what I had. Um, but I, I think with Brad, though, he and the neat thing was, obviously, had we won, which I want to see it go in one time so you young people can make that shot go in. I want to see what would have happened. Uh, I'm a huge hockey fan, but and love Miracle, and I lived through that. Okay. Uh, but this would have been bigger because it's the hometown team, and it's it's in their home city, and you're playing the giant of college basketball, Duke. Yeah. And um, and so it's interesting. If for me, when you're in the the Lucas Oil Stadium, and the one shining moment goes off in the confetti, it's like a gunshot. Um, and then next year for me to be in Houston, I wasn't calling the game, but again, they go to one shining moment, like, here we go again. Um, but, but the next year, you know, I got to be more of a, a fan, which was different. And yeah. when you're doing the game, you're focused in a sense, like a player, whatever, it's my job to tell you the story and mm-hmm. that's what I have to do. And that's what I'm doing and focused on that. So you enjoy things in pieces about the run. Um, and that's a thing, I guess, I tried to take from Brad that 2010 of I'm just doing my job and I need to keep doing it. And yeah, it's a lot bigger stage and it's something people will remember the rest of their lives, but my job is still the same. I got to focus on this possession. Mm-hmm. And that's what he would say. Uh, if we win the tip of a game, coach, what's your goal for the game? Well, if we win the tip, we want to get a good shot. If we lose the tip, we want to get a stop and a rebound. And that's you break it down, and okay, now now we got to do it again, and we got to do it again. Um, and, and so he was big on the process, and that's once you understand that, like yeah, we want to be better. Another thing he'd say, we want to be better August the eighth than we are August the seventh. You're either getting better, or you're getting worse. Right. So you want to be getting better. Everybody's out. Everybody's working hard trying to get better. Yeah. Um, so those are a few of the the Brad Stevens isms that I take. Yeah. yeah. He yeah, and he. That really speaks to how methodical he is about really valuing each possession. I've always admired how good of an out-of-bounds play drawer up he is, like the way he's able to draw those up, and that just speaks to what you were saying about him. So, Well, it's funny you're watching the, the TBT final last night, and one of the coaches has some Butler ties maybe with Ohio State, and he's calling a set called Butler. <laughs> you know, you never thought I never thought when I went to school that there would be a set called Butler that's right. on a game yeah. national TV to win $2 million. Right, yeah, right. that's crazy. And when you were giving those interviews, telling the story about Butler, because that was, that was the first time you've been able to really get the word out about Butler to that magnitude, what did you want people to know? Like, what, what were the things you were speaking on about Butler? Because um, in, in the same process, you're also marketing the university for the, for the future of people that will be looking at this school uh, and applying. So, like, what, what types of things, were, what types of conversations were you having when you were going through those interviews? Yeah, I think the Butler way was something that Tony Hinkle came up with, uh, but then Barry Collier, when he came back as athletic director in 2006, kind of brought that forward, like, we want to live by these pillars. And and so for me, my message was, we live by these pillars. And 
um, you're being around Coach Licklider and Coach Stevens, a lot of things like great teams have great teammates. So if I'm the 14th guy, my job is to bust my tail and practice every day. And if you guys are playing ahead of me in my spot, I'm going to say, hey, timeout. I see them doing this. You might want to try that. It's not about what I can do. If I'm the 14th best player, then I need to accept my role. And, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the best teammate that I can be for these guys. Um, and, and, and so that's something at Butler, we have the Butler way that, that guides us in everything we do. And, and some people may think it's not real and they may think it's phony or whatever. It's a sales pitch, but we live by that. And that's a pretty good mantra to live by. If you <laughs> run things through that funnel, usually you're going to come out uh, pretty solid. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested in how you've, you've been, you've done this a long time. How has uh, the announcing play-by-play, how have you seen that change over time from when you started uh, to now uh, to the Final Four? How did that kind of uh, environment change? How did you adapt to it? Uh, what kind of changes were there within that? Yeah, so it was interesting when I came back to Butler, most of our games weren't on TV. You know, we probably had one hand of games that were on TV. So we've come a long way to have every game being on national TV. And so for those road games in 2006-07, people couldn't watch the game on TV, so they're listening to me. So you're painting the picture. I think the biggest change in radio is now, if you're listening to a game, you're probably watching it also, mm-hmm. and you're syncing it up. And it makes it a little bit different. I came from a different era where I'm painting the picture for you. And that's what I was taught and reinforced when I was here at Butler. And uh, I can remember the first game. So it's funny. I got hired October the 9th. And three weeks later, we had the first game when I came back in 06. We didn't have a radio station when I started. We didn't have an analyst. So Coach Licklider, like, hey, Nick Gardner played for me. He knows a lot about the game. He's a smart guy. He'd be good at it. So you're going to put putting the pieces together. So the first game we're doing at Hinkle is an exhibition game against Oakland City. Admission is free. And every time out, we went to the studio for election updates. Wow. So, yeah, I'm an old guy, obviously. But in one way, that's 13 years ago. Brandon Crone was playing. So he's my conduit. He's still around. Uh, he was a senior that year and a very talented player and a great leader for our team. So... I can remember we start the season at Tulane, brought the black uniforms back. The team had wore blue. We had some success under Barry Collier and Thad Mata with the black uniforms. Like, hey, let's bring that back with the karma. I mentioned Mike Green and Pete Campbell come in. Like, we got a good returning group with A.J. Graves and Brandon Crone and Brian Ligon. How will these new guys be? And uh, Butler goes and beats Tulane 79-37 to on the first game. Like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, that set up what I talked about with the preseason NIT. So then you're playing Notre Dame at uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse, and that's a one-possession game. At the end of the game, Julian Betko, who I haven't mentioned, so I should have earlier, uh, blocks a shot. Notre Dame has a shot to win the game. Julian blocks it. Mm. So then that gets you to the next game where Indiana's up double digits in the second half. And I can remember A.J. Graves banking in a three. And you're <laughs> thinking, okay, we got the karma on our side. Right. Uh, and it just got rolling from there. Yeah, that's good thing we wore black. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, from your perspective, as you developed your skills as, uh, as broadcasting over time, what defines a successful broadcast to you? Like when you walk away from a game, like what measures do you yourself use? To be like I did well that game. Like what what defines that for you? To me, a broadcaster is like an official. If mm. they're good, you don't notice them. And so that was my challenge for myself. I want to paint the picture so you're so focused on the game. So you say, I can't believe that happened. Yeah. Can't believe he missed this shot or they made this call if you're watching on TV too. Uh, and so that's the challenge to paint the picture. And, mm-hmm. and again, uh, I'm glad I didn't really stop and think about as I was going through it. Like this is the biggest moment in Butler history and people could play this forever. If Gordon hits the shot, the radio call, yeah. everybody's still probably playing that. Yeah. Um, and so that was something I was trained to do, and that was my challenge, and, and I tried to do to the best of my ability. Mm. So how much uh, time would you take to prep for, for your broadcast, typically? I know you said when the Final Four, you spent a little extra time, just as big games. Uh, on average, what kind of time would you spend 
getting ready for those? So, so I would say as much time as I was awake, basically doing the job here with corporate partnership was kind of the day job. And so uh, our son, who's a Butler graduate, would play hockey. I'd take him to hockey and I would get my laptop out, okay. start doing as much prep. Uh, you get on the bus back in those days, that was more time to prep. And you never can do enough prep. Um, but yet, I think when you walk into the arena and you know you've done it, okay, you have like five times more information than you think you're going to use because um, you may have to use it. I can mm -hmm. remember doing a game in high school. They mopped the court at halftime. They had oil on the mop. And so it's like a 60-minute delay. Oh, and, and my station manager said, I was like, what am I supposed to do? Like, well, you got to talk. You're on the air. And so <laughs> oh, man. funny, fast forward back to Butler. So we had one doubleheader with the women's team before a men's game. The women's game goes double overtime. So I can remember doing like a 67-minute pregame show with Nick. Like, hey, it's my job. We're on. You got to tell the story. So you got to be ready. That's the uh, disaster scenario, so to speak. But that's the challenge, and that's why you're trained here to handle situations like that. And that's one thing, as a sports guy, I take a lot of pride. If you look at sports people, people being able to speak off the cuff and deal with live situations. And like, like Rich Nye as a Butler guy who did sports for a lot of years, and he's up doing a racing story, and there's a tornado in Kokomo, and Rich covers it with the news side. And now he's doing news at Channel 13. So he was a student in a sports casting class I taught at Butler. So okay. I can mention Rich because he's doing great <laughs> almost 30 years later. That's awesome. Uh, so what would, uh, when you had that space to fill, so when you had the 67-minute pregame, how did you keep people just engaged to where they didn't really notice you, didn't notice the game wasn't starting yet, and still kept it moving? Like, How, how did you kind of work that? And that's where that's the beauty of sport because everybody talks about sports. And that at the water fountain, they don't say, "Man, my accountant did a great job on my taxes" or anything <laughs> like that. So they talk about sports. And so, doing the radio, yourselves. I, I get a chance to channel that. Uh, hey, all these people are talking about this, and, and like I mentioned, Nick Gardner, he's a, he's a smart guy, and he knows a lot about the game of basketball and a lot about sports. And that's a chance for us to talk broader than we usually get mm. to. Uh, usually it's, we don't have enough time. We, okay, we got to talk to the coach for this segment and we're going to talk about a player, what happened last. And so it's kind of the documentary, if you will, kind of the free form of, okay, we got time. Let's, let's go wider with a conundrum or whatever. Okay. Mm. I bet that's fun though. When you get to kind of fill the space, like, all right, we got time to kill. Let's, let's chop it up and see, yeah. see what kind of detours we go down. More natural conversation and, and, like two fans. Yeah. And, and that's a measure, too, if obviously I'm going to lose you guys as listeners if we're not engaging you somehow. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so I need to keep you engaged where you're talking like, man, I, I'm going to text him during the commercial and see what he thinks about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Do you ever miss it at all? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, for me, the closure was kind of good of, I know this is my last season, obviously to get a chance to call a national championship yeah, is beyond yeah. good. It's more Perfect than a dream to come true. Right, right. Um, but I, I would say it's a little bit like a player or a coach, like the practice of the prep. I didn't really mind uh, the bus trips to Youngstown and the bus trips to Green Bay in the winter. <laughs> that kind of gets cold and being away yeah. from your family. Um, that's something that, you don't hear a lot about with coaches, but obviously a lot of them have wives and children and, and you're missing a lot of events, uh, which it was a price certainly I was willing to pay. But when that's over, like, hey, I can see this event uh, for our two kids who are both Butler grads. So do you ever catch yourself when you're watching a game in your head, you're doing a play-by-play? -play? Do you ever just kind of like, oh, there it that, goes? That's an interesting thing, I guess. So my background is in sports information. So... At Butler, I was on the other side of that in radio TV, but I came back to work in sports information for Jim McGrath, who's a Hall of Famer here, was here 35 years. So I learned a lot from him. And one thing in sports information, which kind of morphs into the radio, is you're not usually used to watching the game. You're usually you're working uh, and you don't get to see things. And that's that's what reminds me. So a quick story, Gonzaga's here for college game day and it's the end of the game, Butler's down one, four seconds left. 
And I was walking in the hallway and there was a person who had fallen. And so I'm out there with that person um, because here you understand my job is to help the fans. Mm. Uh, I love watching the game, but I can't stop helping the fans to watch the game. And so I'm helping this gentleman in the hallway and I hear the biggest, one of the biggest roars in game I've oh, ever heard man. at Hinkle. <laughs> um, and so that, so the harder part for me is I'm not really used to watching games. And so I can remember that in 2011 at the final four in Houston, like, man, I get really nervous watching the game because I usually I'm calling the game. Yeah. And it's a little bit different when uh, when we're playing UConn and we're leading by six early in the second half. Like, man, this is this is great. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I still don't get to watch home games a lot. Okay. So on the road games, uh, I'm more a, more a fan, I would yeah. say, than a play by play person. Right on, right on. I know because sometimes, like, I know you used to play you play basketball too, and sometimes, like, I played in high school. So you'll get the man. He's cutting around the back. Like, open up your stance, and then I'll get like, all right, just watch the game, chief. Like, just enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but so, so how did you transition out into what you're doing now and, and uh, kind of take us through that as well? Sure. So my return to Butler in 06 in corporate partnership, we'd had five people in five years prior to when I got here. So as I mentioned, I started October the 9th, the first game's October 30th. So you wouldn't advise, you wouldn't just want somebody to go into that situation, but you're in it like, Hey, what can I do today? I gotta, gotta get sponsors on board. And mm-hmm. so. Uh, after four years, I was able to focus on the corporate partnership. And now, uh, after eight years in that, we were able to outsource it with Learfield Butler Sports Properties. And so uh, that's a lot of pride for me to be able to grow that area. And um, one thing I take to heart here is, as I mentioned, I played tennis. And so I know right now we've got 550 student athletes counting on me to bring in revenue. And, and I want to do the, my best for them because I want the softball player or the lacrosse player or the volleyball player, I want them to have a great experience at Butler. I had a great experience. It's a lot different in 1986 than it is now. Um, and so with the corporate partnership then had more time to focus on that. We were able to grow that, brought Learfield in. And so I was able to stay in the external area and go to ticketing. And I think, you know, I hadn't really done corporate partnership before I got to Butler. But when you think about sales, you're like, hey, where are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat after the game? Or where are we going to get a drink? You're selling somebody, hey, we need to go here for this reason. Uh, what better place to do sales than Butler? Because I believe in everything that Butler is, and I bleed blue for sure. And so that carried over to corporate partnership, and now it carries over to tickets, where Hinkle's such a special place uh, today in the middle of summer, uh, but it's really special on game night in the middle of winter, and for people to experience that. and. And again, I have the perspective of when I was here, you could come to the game 12 minutes before seven and walk in and sit in the second row. And our team wasn't very good. And so I can really appreciate now, um, 30 years ago, actually 1989, the university said, we're gonna commit resources to basketball. We brought in Barry Collier to coach. So you fast forward, last year we had 18,000 applicants for 1300 spots at Butler. So that dream, that vision in 30 years ago, well, we're here to educate students and now our students have a 3.8 GPA. So I tell people I wouldn't get into Butler now, but 1982, <laughs> I was able to get in. So I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Uh, so how, how, what's that process like of working ticket sales, corporate partnerships? Uh, sounds like you were kind of thrown right in the fire too. And now you're focusing a lot on ticket sales. So what's that sales like? And I know Tim's in sales. Uh, he does a lot of outside, um, you know, directly to the business as well. So what's your process look like for yeah? For so tickets? so our challenge is if we get Hinkle the one time on a game night, we think people are going to come back because of the environment we have at Hinkle, our fans, the band, the atmosphere, yeah, everything, the video production that we've added, it, it's all part of your experience, and and that's one thing you're gonna tell people about your experience, whether it's good or bad. And mm. so it's our job to make sure that's good when you're at the water cooler the next day saying, man, <laughs> I had a great time at the Butler game last night. Yeah. Um, and so for us, again, I have the perspective of our circle of fans growing from when I was here in the mid eighties, it's Butler alums and it's a small group of people. And then that grows a little bit, Barry comes in, we start winning some games, we get to the NCAA tournament, uh, for me as an Indiana native, then you have 
Uh, Bob Knight leaves Indiana, and you have certain fans like, okay, I want to go somewhere else. Okay, I like Butler. I like the way they play hard. They play together. They play as a team. Uh, So that grows a little bit. Uh, Then the Pacers have the brawl. And, and again, that, that opens for more fans, and, and that's setting the stage. Then 2007 happens, you're going to top 25, and like, okay, it's getting bigger. But in 2010, you go to the Final Four, and it's gotten bigger, and everybody, then people are buying Butler shirts. And so part of my job with tickets or with corporate partnership then was to say, you as a business – um, you could buy tickets to a Colts game or you could buy Pacer games or we have 19 Butler games where your clients and your employees will remember going to Hinkle. And I know a lot of our our businesses that have tickets, they have lotteries for people like, man, I got the tickets. I get to go to a game. Uh, and that's what we want it to be. And so we want those circles to grow. It's the same Butler. It's the same Hinkle Fieldhouse. We're in the Big East now, so that's different. Um, but with our guys and our players, we think they're doing it the right way, representing us the right way. We'd like to win 30 games every year on the court, uh, but there's a bigger picture, and that's what I think we can sell here. Um, do I think our team will do better this year? I think we will, uh, but I know the guys are working hard. The coaches are working hard. Uh, Laval was an assistant my first year back in 06, 07, so I can remember him from back then when his oldest daughter, I think, was maybe two years old. Okay. Um, kind of the history with him. And I, and I think uh, we've seen good things. We can't comment on commitments and that kind of thing, but it's been good with the recruiting. And I think sometimes people forget we've been a little bit on our heels with coaches mm-hmm. uh, since Brad left to the Celtics. And, and Brandon Miller has the health issue and Chris Holtman takes over and then he leaves in June. And where nowadays with recruiting, you know, it starts when they're freshmen in high school for the most part. So if I'm coming in when you're a junior or a senior in high school, I'm way behind. And so we've taken a lot of transfers here and guys that have, have been Butler players and stepped in and done well for us. We look at it where, man, if, if we can keep our coach for a while, which is what uh, Val's a Butler guy, and uh, I think he'll be here a long time, be very successful here. Good. And we do get a lot of people who are – Butler fans, Butler students, Butler affiliate who listen to this podcast, you want to explain a little bit the new updates that are going on with Hingle right now and some of the exciting things that I guess are coming up from your perspective. Yeah, I think after 91 years, I think it's time for air conditioning in Hingle. So, <laughs> so soon, huh? Yeah. So the, the fans would see in January, February, it's below zero outside and we'd have to open windows because there was literally no uh, circulation in the building. It's funny <laughs> yeah. for me, so... I worked the Pan Am Games volleyball event in Hinkle in 1987. It was in August. USA beat Cuba, Karch Karai on the USA team. Five sets to win the gold medal. It was the largest crowd ever to see volleyball in the U.S. Wow. 15,000 people. And that was the hottest it's ever been in Hinkle. So I did not realize that that went on. That, that's one extreme. Uh, but now going forward, obviously, with air conditioning in the building, it's going to be more comfortable when you come to games. But for us... Uh, commencement number one Mm. anybody that's been to commencement i've been fortunate to be at three of them in hinkle it can get a little bit warm in there no matter what it is outside so that's going to be nice Uh, other events in the building yeah i know right now looking forward the indiana fever they're redoing banker's life Fieldhouse the next three summers so that gives us a chance with air conditioning we have a chance to be in the mix maybe they could play here and then that's more fans coming in to see the building i would see Mm -hmm. part of hinkle and, and get them used to coming here so the air conditioning is something that every fan will enjoy when they're here. We're getting new lights on the main floor. So uh, hopefully that's going to be more spectator friendly where they're not going to get in your eyes as you can look up to that video board mm-hmm. that we got in 2014. So our daughter happened to graduate the first class in 1415 in Hinkle with the video board. So mm. we always tell people at commencement, one parent shoots the video board, one shoots the stage. Yeah. <laughs> you got two, two chances to get the shot. Hopefully you get it's one that's system. usable. Right, right. System. Um, and so the lighting on the main floor and then the Ephraimson family gym. So uh, the artist formerly known as the West Gym from when I was here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I used to equate the Ephraimson gym to Ross Hall. Like when our son moved into Ross Hall, it looked just like when I moved in. Maybe had some paint on it. It had some lights. Yeah. Uh, so that's the Ephraimson gym. It kind of looked the same as it did when I was here. Um, and so now... That's going to be renovated. We're going to have the Matt White Court, former Butler student athlete, 
uh, who means a lot to Butler fans. And, and I had a chance to uh, see Matt when our team went down to Florida Gulf Coast oh, okay. um, about 2007, 08 maybe. And I can remember um, Brad Stevens with that team. We presented Matt a game ball down there after he went out and ate with us. And he said I, he wanted a Final Four ball. And he said that. Lo and behold, three years later, he got a Final yeah, Four wow. ball. Awesome. He made the trip up here. Um, and, and so that was a neat experience. So obviously to have his name uh, in there is going to even add add more to the Ephemson gym. That's awesome. Yeah, when we walked in, it's like it's all being worked on. It was, gets you excited for that first October game. Like, all right, let's get after it. But you said there's volleyball too before in so, September. So September so. 20th is that. And interesting this year with the schedule, we have a basketball game on homecoming, which I can never remember in my 37 okay. years of Butler history. So October 26th is the first men's basketball game playing against IU Kokomo where Rose Jones is the assistant coach. So mm. Rose is somebody that every Bulldog fan loves and yeah. and he's helped with that program there last year where they were nationally ranked and went to the NAIA national tournament. Um, and, and so just another new piece on homecoming. And, and that's the thing most important with Hinkle is I think we realize that's the iconic building for Butler University. And so when the first renovation was done in 2014, we wanted to make sure you felt like you're coming into Hinkle. So the restrooms are gonna be nicer and the hallways are gonna be nicer and you're gonna have a video board, uh, but most important is you're coming into Hinkle mm -hmm. and you're gonna get that feeling when we're here. And that's the same thing, same thing with this iteration um, that you're coming into Hinkle. It's still the Hinkle you know and love. It's not multicolored <laughs> like it was in the 80s in Hoosiers. It's Butler Blue now, which we like, yeah. um, but it's a special place, and uh, we look forward to showing it off to the fans. That's awesome. Rims are still 10 feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we haven't had as many people measuring as they did <laughs> back in the day, but uh, for me, it was interesting. That was my senior year when they filmed the movie, so I can remember okay. being here in January or February. They played a local high school game here, and at halftime, they filmed some of the state final scenes for the movie. So if you were dressed in 50s regalia, you got in the shot. And if you weren't dressed in that, you didn't get in the shot. Uh, and so mm -hmm. when you go back and watch the movie, you never see a full arena shot because we didn't have a full arena. We had enough people dressed in 50s regalia okay. to be on one side of the court. So that's one thing you notice. And, yeah. and a funny story about this, a couple weeks ago when I given a tour, a gentleman was here for the filming and he said he was part of the group that stormed the court at the end of the movie, he said, but they didn't use that scene. And I'm like, that's the first time I've heard that. They should have yeah. used it. Whoa. Everybody appreciates a good court storming. Yeah. We've had a few with Villanova yeah. and Gonzaga. Um, so I learned something that I hadn't before. Huh. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea. I think they should have used it. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. Uh, Tim, what else you got? Uh, We've kind of run through a lot. I guess, I mean, one thing, I, one last thing I want to ask is what advice would you give to someone who is trying to get into the game of broadcasting? Maybe a college student who's doing that type of thing. Like, what advice would you give to someone, st stuff that you learned in your climb up the ladder, uh, stuff that you'd pass off to them? Yeah, I, I would quote Brad Stevens, as I often do, but he, he would say, don't, don't limit your dreams. Mm. Uh, don't put a ceiling on it, because you never know that 2009-10 team. Had they put a ceiling on, gosh, we hope to, gosh, maybe we can go to the Sweet 16. Well, they didn't, didn't say that. And so uh, a lot of people want to be into broadcasting, but I think uh, working at it, we've had a good group, kind of your era with guys out there with Brendan King, uh, Seth Wells, Mark Pearson is back mm -hmm. over in Champaign where there are opportunities. And I think that's the thing here at Butler or anywhere, look for opportunities. So we have 20 sports at Butler now. Lacrosse is one that I know very little of, but but I tell people go out and and do lacrosse because you could be the only person doing it here locally, yeah. And then you have an audience, and and it's the same process for every sport, uh, but that's a different one. For me, it, you grow up watching sports, you're kind of familiar with almost every sport, and then we play lacrosse. We've had our team for three years, and I'm kind of I know hockey a little bit. I know they're trying to make it in the goal. Um, but yet you can learn, you can learn that. And, and like John Cervizi, who's a Butler alum with Tupelo Raycom, well, they're producing axe throwing and they're producing cornhole. 
Well, somebody had the idea to do that. You could be the first one to do play-by-play for cornhole. So yeah. you can paint the picture for anything. And I think the best thing now is the technology allows you to take it. You can just take your iPhone and connect, and you can do Facebook Live and things like that. So that's where we've evolved at Butler from that 50,000-watt radio station that would do the basketball games after the opera to now it's Facebook Live, so we have College of Communication students doing it. So you could be the technical director, you could do camera, you could be the producer. So many pieces of that, so many facets. And and that's the neat thing, like me being involved in sports. I remember when I was here, my sports information days, I learned how to do computer stats. Well, five years later, I'm at then the Hoosier Dome doing stats for the NCAA tournament. Like I had the best seat in the house. Right. I'm sitting right in the middle of the court. All because I learned how to do something. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of things with that. And I tell people, or, or like, if you think about think about Butler basketball, there's so many facets you could do if you're a video person. You know, creative video, you need that. You can be behind the scenes. You can give people, your fans, a glimpse. You can provide engaging content. We didn't have that when I was here. We didn't have the World Wide Web, that kind of thing, where there are a lot of opportunities. So don't limit yourself what I would say, and reach out to people because a lot of people help me along the way, and that's kind of my role. So I'm 55 years old. I've been out of school 33 years, and this is my 30th year in college athletics. So I'm very blessed to do what I want to do, but now it's my job to help with the next generation in sports or in broadcasting or in college athletics. Sure. I love it. That's awesome. So, Joe, what's, what's your next goal? What's on the horizon for you that, that you're down to tackle Next, I know you're you're in your dream job, and it's it's probably not too much work, quote unquote, for you. But what's your next kind of thing you want to take on here? And again, I go back to my Brad Stevens background, but it but it's all about the next task, and and we're trying to sell tickets right now. And so, um, that was one of the interesting things. After the first Final Four, we had a lot of people reaching out to Butler, like, "Hey, you're big time now. You need to buy this. You need to spend money on this." And we funneled everything into, does it help our student athlete experience? Does it help us generate revenue? Or does it help us get donations? And so it, kind of that process of feeding things in, like a lot of those things, we said no to a lot of those things. Just because we made the final four doesn't mean, mean we need to spend extra money on this or on that. And so that's the beauty here. I, I think I tell people every day is different. And, and I come in trying to be better tomorrow than I am today and trying to reach more people. And, and you understand with sales, you got to do eight to 10 times or whatever they say. Yeah. And so you understand that's part of the process. That's mm-hmm. going to be okay. If I've reached out to you seven times, it's going to be eight tomorrow. Yep. And that'll be eight. And, and that's one thing I tell people going back to your previous question, but reaching out to people like once a week, if you're interested mm-hmm. in position, let them know, Hey, I want this position. And they may say, man, I, I'm tired of talking to this guy. At least I'm going to listen to his tape or look at his video or, sure. or read his piece. Awesome. Tim, you got anything else for, for Joe here? I think I'm good. Joe, where should people go for tickets to find Butler Social, to find you? Where do people head? So Gate 4 Hinkle Ticket Office is open weekdays 10 to 4. So uh, that's easy. Okay. You can find a place to park at least till the classes get back in session here in a couple weeks. <laughs> Online, it's butlersports.com slash buy tickets. And uh, we have six ticketed sports. So we've got soccer's coming up. Uh, this fall men's soccer, we play Indiana here. We drew 6,000 people when we played them last time here. Two years ago, we got a Big Ten men's and women's doubleheader against Wisconsin and Illinois. Akron's coming in and men's soccer, College Cup participant. We got two night football games in September, which we haven't had. So that'll be fun after we open at North Dakota State. Uh, first... D1 football game at Target Field in Minnesota, so that's going to be fun for our guys. Uh, Volleyball, as I mentioned, we'll get a late start with uh, Hinkle being redone. And then men's and women's basketball in the winter. We had a great women's basketball season last year with a couple postseason victories. So Butler's a neat place. and encourage people to come out, stop by campus, and come by and see us at Hinkle. Perfect. Joe, thank you so much again for your time. This was just a blast to hang with you in Hinkle and and just visit one more time in such a beautiful place. So thank you again, um, and thank you to our listeners. Hope you enjoyed the show, and until next time.